Hi, I'm Lauren Weiner, and this is the WWC Podcast. I'm here with Donna Honeycutt, the COO of WWC, and we're going to talk today about the lessons learned about subcontracting, what you need to know, how you need to get into uh, the government through subcontracting and what the pitfalls of subcontracting can be and how to, how to navigate around those. Um, so one of the things that we learned early on in the company, we actually started first as a subcontractor, um, and most firms do. Uh, and Donna, who had been a corporate lawyer and didn't know really anything at the time about government contracting, found herself looking at a subcontract agreement mm-hmm. uh, and trying to figure the way around it. So what have you learned over the years uh, in in being a subcontractor and understanding uh, what are the, the biggest takeaways you have globally first, and then we can get into some of the specifics of some of the pit, the specific pitfalls. Okay. Um, so there's a couple of different pieces to this. Uh, the first is what I didn't know at all when, and I was going to say that was the first time we ever worked together was someone had asked you to do some work and you said, can you review this contract? And, and I looked it over. Um, I went back to that same contract with my comments on it like 15 years later. And I thought, that. Those were all good points. But what I noticed was that I was completely lacking in any knowledge of contracting law itself and the FAR clauses. And in fact, I said to you, you know, I've reviewed this for business equity, but I haven't reviewed this for, I don't, I'm not familiar with these FAR clauses, so I can't speak to them with any authority. Um, so what does that really mean? So that means that in addition to what you know, getting into a subcontract, which is, you know who you are, you know what you and your organization can bring to the table, um, you know what's special about you, you know how much the other side needs you. Um, there are two other things that someone needs to know, and it doesn't have to be you. Uh, there's just sort of the legal backdrop and, you know, the devil is in the details in terms of what uh, can happen if things go south and how you ensure that things go north. Um, and then the other thing is the government contracting law and how that actually ends up playing out with the government, which is a completely different set of rules than, you know, regular law and a regular business to business environment. Mm-hmm. It's funny, we've seen over the years some firms who have gotten it really, really wrong. There, there are a lot of firms who do things on a handshake deal. Oh, and this is, and a lot of this comes out of sort of that military culture where you trust your brother. We've seen a brother stab another brother. I'm oh. really sorry to say that. It's definitely the exception and not the norm. But once you start getting into business, and I would advise, you know, even with your brother or sister or friend or whatever, it always helps to paper things. Trust is really, really good. But papering things, not only sort of is, is a belt and suspenders that, that you can trust people, but it is also belt and suspenders on the understanding of what the deal is, because the same person can say the same word. And let me give you an example, fair, equitable, timely. And those terms can mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, we've seen a lot where we go to negotiate something and we find out that our understanding with someone that we know well and have wanted to do business with or worked with on, on some other, in some other capacity goes south because when they start negotiating, wow, it gets really nasty or it gets really quickly goes down the the rabbit hole. Um, but we saw, so do you remember there was one, uh, firm that we worked with years ago and they had brought something to the table to a large, uh, operational firm. Yes. Um, and 
they said, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're bringing this to them. They brought a very special relationship and a lot of credibility and a niche talent. Well, they were, I think they were the prime before, and there was another contract vehicle that they threw it onto, the larger, the larger company did, and they gave them X percent as a work share guarantee. Yeah. But they didn't get in there a couple of really specific terms about follow-on contracts, about being able, I think it was even the option period, they they lost it at the option period, right. the firm pushed them out. That's, yes. And they very specifically did that, and it was very clear that they had meant to do that. And it was very clear to me that they hadn't had a good transactional lawyer review it, because any transactional lawyer worth their salt is right. going to think about what happens to work that you get as a result of the immediate work that you're looking at. How are you going to share that follow-on work? Right. And also, um, what happens if there's a follow-on contract period? I mean, it's a real rookie mistake to leave that out of your interest in a contract. Yep. And, um, you know, it's important. The, the devil is in the details. And it really is important that if this isn't your forte, you bring somebody in, in whose forte it is because, you know, that additional clause or that additional comma in the contract, boring though it may be, might make the difference between whether you get to keep this work or lose it and whether your company um, uh, thrives or flounders. Yeah. So one of the things that we've talked about over the years uh, that I think is really important to for people to remember as they're as they're working through subcontracting, yeah, is what's your relative position here? You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So where are you? What is your relative uh, negotiating position? How much does the other side need you, and how much do you need the other side? Right. Um, one of the things that we see that where, where things really go south is, uh, and actually we should talk about how this happens on both sides of the yeah. coin. We'll see small businesses that say, "Hey, I'm a small." business and, and can you give me some work? And then, uh, the prime says, okay, well, all right, I can throw you a, a position here, a position there. And then the small business says, well, you need to pay me more or no, I can't, I can't bring you this certification or no, you know, I, I won't have this, or I'm sorry, that's inconvenient for me. And at the wrong hours, no, 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 no. Someone does you a favor. You have to be their huckleberry. You mm -hmm. need to be there and you need to be ready and you need to deliver exactly what they need because remember they are doing you a favor. But at the same time, that on the flip side of that, which I think is uh, really important to understand, we've brought, as a small business, we've brought work specifically to a large business because they had a contract vehicle. Yes. Um, or we just happened recently where we were bringing a large business onto our small business uh, proposal Team, yeah. only because we were doing a favor for... A, a, one of the vice presidents who had just gotten into that firm and that firm but turned around and said, enter legal. Right. <laughs> and always with the large firms, the legal department yeah. kills every deal. So here's what happens at the large firms, right? Um, the larger you are, the bigger a target you are, the more your risk mitigation people come in and the more your thousand dollar an hour lawyers are issuing templates and saying, you cannot deviate from this template because this is going to protect you from any and all kind of software down the road. And as a result, the people that you're talking to and you think you're negotiating with at the large firm have absolutely zero power oh. to change any of the wording in there. They, um, they pretty much amount to, I mean, if you're doing a deal with one of the big firms, um, and you're not one of the big firms, it pretty much amounts to close to an adhesion contract. Yes. But if you have the leg up in yes. this, right, we have seen it on the large firms yeah. where 
we'll turn around and they're about to, the, the legal office or the, the contracts department is going to shut this deal down. Yeah. And I'll pick up the phone and call the vice president or I'll call that the senior vice president or the yeah. head of federal practice or whatever it is and go, all right, guys, we're going to drop you off this team. Yeah. And it's remarkable when you have the leg up, you find out that those firms actually do have the ability to- Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. Sometimes they kill the deal. Uh, it's it's just, yeah. and sometimes you'd rather not work with the larger firms and that's okay and that's appropriate because honestly, they don't have the time to deal with a small fish and a little deal right. with, with the same granularity that they might with, you know, another Lockheed Martin or another Raytheon. You may remember, and this is a hilarious when this happened. You know what I'm I have saying, a feeling because right? I, I was going to go to the same place. <laughs> so we were uh, we were doing a deal with um, a big firm, and we were the ones that brought the work to the table, and we were the ones that had you know the the reputation with the customer and the track. Uh, track record with the customer. We just needed a large firm to back us to bring in sort of the manpower. And so they sent us uh, a template for a subcontract that was draconianly in favor of the prime and uh, really gave absolutely no wiggle room or rights of recourse to the sub. And they had gotten it wrong with some lazy thinking. They thought they were the prime and we were the sub. <laughs> so uh, Lauren, why don't you finish the story? Yeah. So we, we were in that case, we were actually the prime and they, we, we needed them for a little piece of it, but they had said, Hey, because we're a large firm, we want it on our paper, not your paper. Can we give you the template? Sure. You know what? We're going to do this really quickly. Let's, let's make it happen because we needed the, the paper quickly. So they gave us the template that was prime sub and it said their name in the prime space. So we flipped it and said, sure, we can absolutely take all of this ready to sign. Um, except we've now put our name WWC in the prime spot and yeah. your name in the sub. And they went, Oh, there was an awkward silence. That's <laughs> actually the template for when we're prime, right. let us give you the template we meant to send you, which is when we're the sub. Yeah. And well, it was draconian on the other side. And we said, Nope, you can sign our version. Right. Right. Of, of our actual paperwork. Yeah. Or you can sign the one that you were expecting us to sign. And so then we did have to waste a lot of time going down the path yeah. of a granular negotiation. And, and it was almost comical how pretty much at every level, the terms that they had tried to assign to what they expected to be. And in their mindset, the paradigm is the sub is always powerless and we're always the big bag mm -hmm. gorilla in the room. Every time we said, well, you had asked us to sign this, we want you to sign it. Oh, oh no, no, we can't, we can't yeah. do that. And so that's a really great illustration of the fact that relative bargaining positions are really important to understand. Um, basically, the more important you are and the more the other side needs you, the more power you have to dictate terms. So, and, and you can have that. It's really important to say this. It's not because one of them is large and one of them is small, that's correct. right? I have, we have been in positions where we hold almost all of the power, either as a prime or as a sub. And we can push things very clearly for that reason. We still do give in with a lot of the large firms on some of the stuff that doesn't matter as much and really matters to them because of their consistency. That's exactly right. So you have to understand which of the things they're asking for is sort of like an extra bite at the apple for this particular deal versus which of the things that they're insisting on came out of the corporate headquarters that was paying, you know, Wachtell, Lipton, Rosen, and Katz $2,000 an hour. And, and they don't think that they can second guess 
just that. And so a lot of things you can give on. Um, but I will say one of the things that we run into frequently that is, um, somewhat frustrating and you need to be patient with it and you need to understand sort of the day-to-day workload of the person you're dealing with. The paradigm in their heads, if you're dealing with a large firm, it is always, you are a small, powerless subcontractor. We are doing you a favor by giving you this work. And even if that's not the case and you tell them, it takes a while for that to click. One of the things that we do really, really well together Mm -hmm. um, that that works, I think, and is important for small businesses to understand is you work really well, you and your team work really, really well with the contracts people in having those conversations, but then you kick it to me and I work with the BD folks Mm -hmm. to say, okay, hello, you're going to kill this deal. And sometimes they can't do anything about it. Right. But most of the time, what we can do is, again, if we're being reasonable on the And that's the thing, you, you have to be fair and you have to be reasonable. Right. But, you know, if there are things that are non-starters for us, yeah. you know- Deal breakers. Right. Um, that we turn around to the vice president, I'm using that term kind of broadly, but the BD person, the, the person that's leading yeah. that effort in a large lead. firm yeah. and say, hey, wait a second your contracts folks are about to stop this for A, B, and C. We've already given on D, E, and F, and mm-hmm. we're happy to do so. Yeah. But A, B, and C, I can't give on, and I need you to jump in and figure that out. And you need to also, uh, you know, if you have worked with this particular other party in the past, make sure that you're being consistent with positions you've taken in the past. And if you are willing to concede on a point because there's a particular piece of, you know, a deal that you want to do with them, but you're not willing to concede on that forever and yes. perpetuity going forward, you need to say that. You need to say, look, for this deal, because this is the situation yep. and this is why it's very important for us, we're, we're okay with that. Um, I do want to put a flag down and say, this might not be right for the next deal. Yes. Yes. And so if you can, and and I'll tell you, one of the things that we're really good at is keeping all of the back notes. Yeah. And better turning keep around, your files. Oh my God, order. keep your files. Yeah. Um, but, but turning around to them and saying, Hey, you guys signed off on this on this one, or we just had one where we were subcontracting to a firm that we had primed for before. Yes. And they were absolutely adamant that they would not sign off as a sub. Yeah. No, as a prime, I'm sorry, to certain things. We had to do this. We had to do that. I think there was, um, some control, some, whatever it was, um, backfilling things, whatever, that were not part of the contract. It was, no, 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 we never sign on to this as prime. First of all, we had the times that they had signed on to it (laughs) when we were, when they were prime. And then we had their comments back to us when we were prime about the same language. And so it was, no, 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 we absolutely have to do this when we're sub. We won't do this when we're prime. And we were able to call them out on it. And it actually, in that case, it worked fairly well. And we got where we needed to. And you you bring up a really good point, which is um, if you are dealing with a flow down, so let's say you've got a prime and they're flowing down a requirement to you from the prime contract. If you're going to challenge that and say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. You better be sure that it's not a flow down that they're required to flow down Mm -hmm. by the prime contract because they have absolutely no room for negotiation. If the government is saying every subcontractor you bring on board will sign this and warn and represent this. Now, if it's something that they're doing kind of for their convenience, then at that point you might have some room to negotiate. 
But um, I would say as, as a rule of thumb, the critical thing for knowing what's worth negotiating and where you should probably end up is knowing, knowing who you're dealing with and particularly what their role is in the organization. I mean, I would not browbeat a contract specialist who doesn't have the power to change something to change something that they don't have the power to change. I would say, Hey, listen, here's my message. Let's talk to somebody who has the power to change this. Okay. So when, when you have someone available to do that, put them on the phone with me, yep. uh, you know, likewise with the flow downs, I mean, you want to go negotiate with the government and say, I'm a subcontractor. No, 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 that's not happening. If the flow down is required by the prime contract, you are getting it. Um, one of the terms that gets slowed down, however, uh, that is often negotiable is on insurance, mm-hmm. insurance caps and insurance amounts are very, very negotiable. And that's a place where you can come in and say, listen, I'm a small business. I can't afford to have a hundred million dollars of, you know, for every incident of a car accident, you know, whatever it is, they're, they're usually pretty open to that. Yeah. What are the other things that are deal breakers for us as a small business and as a subcontractor? I know one of the things that we've, we've obviously talk a lot about and everyone focuses on is work share and work share guarantees, but that's almost, that's the most obvious, clearly. Um, It is the, it is, and, and getting that language right about when you get certain work share guarantees and when they can take them away from you yes. if you don't meet timeliness or if you don't meet the resumes. Right. Some of those are, are meaningful and useful and they have to be in there as yeah. the prime, but there are caveats that, that get you away from that other than work share. Because I think that's what everyone focuses on when they're right. looking at this stuff. So other than that Appendix A, that's usually yes. what it's called, uh, for work share guarantees or swim lane guarantees or whatever it is that show how they're going to distribute it, what other clauses matter? So there's a lot of clauses that matter. There's the pricing clause. There's how much you're going to disclose on your pricing or whether the details of your pricing, if it's complex pricing, are going to go straight to the government or have mm-hmm. to be um, vetted through the prime. There's the issue of wh- whether and to what degree you're allowed to talk to the customer and sort of yes. say, I'm WWC and I'm not this other prime contract. Um, the you know the things that I would care about that I think are so pertinent to work share are, okay, what happens with the follow-on contract? What happens to related work that the prime contract gets because my guy has done such a great job. And, you know, you want to make sure that there are ways to continue to share the wealth. And, you know, you really do want to try to stick with what's fair. Um, if someone is giving you entree into an organization that you otherwise don't have entree into, don't expect to walk away with half the work and everything that comes out of it, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're taking a chance on you. So maybe you want to propose um, a rubric under which wealth would do really well and, you know, we do great performance, then, you know, we'll have right of first refusal to do this on the next contract mm-hmm. or whatnot. Right. Or you've got kill it, eat it language, which everyone kill talks it, about eat in, it, the, yeah. in the industry, which really means if I go and find, particularly for an IDIQ contract, mm-hmm. if I go and find work, I get to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, or under which conditions you get to keep it. Because sometimes if it's a small business set aside contract, right. you might not be able to keep uh, but 49% of it. Right. So it, it's, Again, knowing your relative position, position. Yeah. negotiations, bargaining power, whatever you want to call it. And it's, again, who's bringing the WASTA to the table here? You yeah. Know, usually you've got WASTA coming from both sides. So maybe one side has the WASTA with the relationships and the track record and the particular small business designation that they get to check a box that they've, you know, towards meeting a certain goal. And then the other one might come with the, you know, organizational track record and the name recognition, and maybe they already have a big flexible vehicle, but you know, you don't want to overplay your hand. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is understand what your hand is. Don't overplay it, but yeah. also don't underplay it. I And for the love of God, for the love of God, I beg you, please read the contract before you sign it. Because yes. I cannot tell you how many stories we've heard about people like, yeah, yeah, whatever. These are all details. You know, oh, this is all the gobbledygook. They sign it without looking at it. And it, and, and, and it can really cost them like their house at the end of right. the day if they haven't carefully read the contract. Right. We, we just had somebody, I don't know if I've told you this yet or not. We had someone that we were negotiating a subcontract with and they brought us in and we had a very low relative bargaining power. Mm -hmm. They needed our status. They needed really UTEP as our uh, past performance. Past performance, yeah. Um, but it was a new agency for us. Yeah. Um, we didn't have any relationships there. We had some ability to help with the proposal. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the guys that works as an expert for the firm came and talked to me. You know, one of our vice presidents was working with one of their guys. And this uh, consultant who had brought this to me in the first place, he had met me at, at, at an NDIA breakfast or whatever, came and he said, you know, you guys have been really obstructionist. What? And I said, really? I'm so sorry. Tell me more about that. He yeah. was like, you know, you're not responsive. And I said, oh my gosh, I, I'm concerned about that. Tell me more. Are we, I knew there was an issue with recruiting that it had to be very quick. Is our recruiting shop not doing what we need? He's like, oh, we haven't given you any positions to, recru to recruit yet. We're still working on the teaming agreement, but you guys came back with comments. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, I said, were they, um, were they unreasonable comments? Were they, what kind of comments were they? And he recounted a couple of them. And I was like, that doesn't seem out of the ordinary to me. And he said, we have never had someone come back. Oh, that's disturbing. And and give us comments on a on a subcontract or a teaming yeah. agreement, I think it was. Uh, and I was like, well, that's not the firm that you've got here. If you don't want us to comment on these and just want us to sign off on it, that means we're not complying. Mm -hmm. That means we're not looking closely at this. Right. When we when we make a representation or a warranty to you, there's actual heft and, and substance yeah. behind it. Where and and this is something that we should talk about in another uh, context in another podcast, which is, you know, a lot of companies don't like working with small businesses and they don't like working with subs because they think it's too much of a hassle. And then they find out that you know they promise the moon and can't deliver. Absolutely. Um, or maybe they don't look. Maybe Make the primes look good. And um, I would say that's something to keep in mind as well. You always want to be making your prime look good. Um, you always want to be reasonable. You always want to be collaborative. Um, but as Lauren said, that doesn't mean that you sign everything that's put in front of you. And P.S. Different firms have different reputations for this. You yeah. know, there, there. You might have a firm that says, "Well, I can't promise you that I won't poach your people." You know what? You walk away from that deal. Yeah, and we've walked away from a number of deals. Really, honestly, more so than the paper itself. It's the process. The process shows you who you're working with who and you're who you're with. dealing with and how bad it's going to be. Yeah. And so... Or we, how great it's going to be. Or, or how Oftentimes it's, it's how great it's going to be. Right. And we've had a couple of large firms recently yeah. who have been delightful in... You're looking at me like maybe not delightful. No, I'm waiting. Um, who is this? Because... Uh, that have been maybe not delightful. I mean, it's never, look, negotiating a teaming agreement or a subcontract is never fun, yeah. Yeah. but you can tell a lot from the firm when they know, hey, this firm is doing something meaningful for us and we're doing something meaningful for them. 
the goal here is to have a long-term relationship where you can be prime and you can be sub. Right. right. The goal is to have a sum that's greater than its two parts. Yeah. Um, and so if a prime is acting like a big hulking prime, they're likely not going to be a good prime, nor are they going to be a good sub. We have some, yeah. lots of, of, of uh, stories about some big firms that were not good subs. And then we'll go to a competitor firm of theirs and they're lovely to work with. And likewise, we have uh, a, a lot of firms that we have worked with that said, oh, you're such a pleasure to work with. You yes. know, you're reasonable and and you know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, it's, you know, negotiating a deal is a lot like when you're talking to a professional a lawyer, a doctor, a CPA, um, you want them to be open to new information. You want them to weigh each kind of response that you give uh, with an open mind and, and hopefully your response is legitimate. And then hopefully they say, okay, let's find a way to paper around this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's it is you get to the deal and then you figure out a way to paper that deal. Um, it is really, really important. Subcontracting, prime contracting, but particularly subcontracting as a small business is a huge critical piece of building a government contracting firm. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully this has been helpful to you to understand some of it. We may go into a subcontracting 201 podcast at some point. Let us know if you have feedback. Let us know if you have questions that we can answer on the next one. Give us ideas. Thanks guys.